The Torah portion calls us to the meaning of Yom Kippur in that we assemble collectively, affirm our possibilities as a different kind of society and as a holy people, and we avoid the process of scapegoating human beings by silencing Satan with the shofar blast on Rosh Hashanah and through the period of these days and through, and through sending our own shortcomings, our own sins, on the scapegoat who stays alive and moves into the wilderness out of our sphere so we can have a new beginning. Last year, I, I shared my favorite theorist about the scapegoat, René Girard, highly awarded, although originally French, did his work in America, who had a unique theory of the scapegoat, felt the scapegoating is natural because at some point in society, we are drawn to feel that there is scarcity and we are drawn to feel that we don't have what others have. And then we will find someone to blame, someone who may well possess properties that we say we hate, but we are secretly envious of, like love, comradeship, closeness within community, maybe even something spiritual and holy. And ultimately, inequity builds and builds to the point where violence must be done and the scapegoat must be killed. He says there is another way, but it's really not often practiced. He says... If it were the case, what people would do is the society would not find a scapegoat within or without to kill, but they would invent a metaphysical force that they would send their sins off to, and they would realize that no one's outside the whole, the society. And rather than blaming, they would create the society that they want, where all voices are heard, inequities are addressed, and no scapegoat is identified or hurt. So if the scapegoat stays alive, if the enemy is not a person or a group, but it is Satan, it is the accusation, then that we can address through introspection and change. Victimization is the temptation. Creating is the alternative. I'm drawn in the accusations and the scapegoating of Jews in the past year, what we talk about is the rise of anti-Semitism. I'd rather not give it exactly a label as if that helps us understand it or deal with it. I keep feeling like the accusations which are scapegoating of the Jewish people and have become only thinly veiled incitements to violence and blame are like the situation for the last several chapters of the book of Numbers, where the Israelites head into the area of the promised land, and they are not given safe passage by the peoples who are there. In fact, the peoples who are there, the Moabites, the Ammonites, it's not like they're city-states yet. They are tribes that actually fight over each other's territory. People are sojourning and camping, and they're moving around, And no room, despite the obvious room that is there, will be made for these refugees. And so for that, they lose their right to stay on the land. And so horrified is King Balak, 
that he hires Bilam, who's a famous Near Eastern magician, historically attested to. So he was famous in the Mideast. Today, he would have at least 5 million followers on YouTube and Twitter. Everyone seemed to listen to him. And so he's paid to curse the Israelites, to speak words that will make people hate us, that will curse our future. The only problem is, as much as he wants to take the money and do so, he says, I can only speak the truth. And so we all know at the end of the day, as many times as he tries to curse, blessing comes instead. Matovu. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob. Today we are being cursed. And we are being cursed with words, accusations, very fraught words like genocide, ethnic cleansing, apartheid, colonialist. These are the new Balak curses. And like Balak, these are not dialogue words, and they're not even really accusation words. They are the words of judge, jury, and executioner in one. They're using words to create a reality that justifies violence. We are cursed by saying Zionism is colonialism. The Jews are not indigenous to the land. The Arabs are. And therefore, Zionism is a species of white colonialism. Jews represent whiteness. They are the scapegoat for white guilt. And so the curses keep coming. Two Stanford therapists at the Counseling Center suing the university for inclusion training meant to benefit those who have been disadvantaged in our culture. One of them, a gay man, is arguing that he did not want to be the group being taught of white oppression because as a gay man who has suffered largely in this country persecution, he did not identify as an oppressor. And as coming from a family of Holocaust survivors, he did not identify as persecutor. He wanted to know when anti-Semitism would be part of the inclusion training. He was told that it would not be part of it. According to the lawsuit, one of the trainers said that she would not include it because she subscribes to the anti-Zionist branch of social justice activism. Or in my hometown of Philadelphia, a food vendor, it's this Gratz Roost event where people with food trucks and representing small businesses and individuals trying to work their way up have an event where the food trucks come And a food truck run by Israelis was asked not to attend because Palestinian activists informed the organizers, quote, our perspective or criticism is that this is appropriated Palestinian food. They're referring to hummus and pita. That is being marketed as Israeli food and in this way contributes to the marginalization and erasure of Palestinian culture. The event... Again, a grassroots event largely organized by, with very little money, by an Asian-American organizer apologized that they didn't know what to do about it, and they didn't really have money for security, and they apologized for uninviting the truck, but they didn't know what else to do. The professional union at CUNY recently passed the resolution in support of the Palestinian people which opens by saying that, quote, as an academic labor union committed to anti-racism, academic freedom, and international solidarity among workers, we cannot be silent about the practice of dispossession and expansion of settlements 
dating back to Israel's establishment as a settler colonial state. It also talks about what it calls Israel's state-sponsored policies of settler colonialism, which it says link the Palestinian struggle for self-determination to the struggles of indigenous people and people of color in the United States. It commits the Union to condemning the ongoing massacre of Palestinians by the Israeli state. And it initiates discussions in support of the BDS movement. Accusations that Israel is committing a genocide of the Palestinians spiked during the recent conflict between Israel and Hamas in Gaza, despite the objections of human rights lawyers. Daily Beast writer Tirhaka Love criticized the consideration of Mayim Bialik as the new Jeopardy host because Bialik supports genocidal IDF. Challenged by the choice of the word genocidal, the curse, which the Daily Beast editors removed, Love tweeted, quote, the Zionists should really stop emailing me because, girl, I do not care. And in a subsequent tweet, Love said Zionism was, quote, an articulation of white supremacists. The new novel, Virtue, by Hermione Hobie, she suggests by way of fiction that our young people are being told they must participate in this curse where they'll be excluded socially. It sounds alarmist, except as a rabbi, I'm privy to teens talking to me about the fact that they are. Teens within Beth Israel calling me to say they want to transfer to a different university than they are in. Do I think it'll be better anywhere else? They are tired of being harassed because they are not anti-Zionist. People who call me to tell me I have a roommate who constantly harasses me because I'm Jewish and therefore is Zionist. And I've reported it to the university, but they say we believe all voices and roommates should get along and so forth and so on. I've talked to teens here who tell me that they're just not, they don't want to lose their friends, right? Especially in this time. I asked them, do your friends ever bring up the Ergers? Do they suggest that Asian Americans should be harassed on campus, or Chinese international students. After all, the Communist Party have persecuted more than an estimated one million Muslims in internment camps. Thousands of mosques, almost all of them, been destroyed. Hundreds of thousands of children forcibly separated from their parents and sent to boarding schools. Government policies, including the arbitrary detention of Uyghurs in state-sponsored internment camps, forced labor forced sterilization, forced contraception, and forced abortion. In other words, what real ethnic cleansing and genocide look like. And as one of our amazing Beth Israel teenagers told me, when I asked whether his friends at school ever bring this up, when casually and cruelly making anti-Zionism the entry fee for social belonging, he said, yeah, I asked them that exact thing. They responded, oh, we're against that too. It just doesn't come up much. There seems to be no irony to supporting Hamas, who deny basic political and human rights, who imprison LGBTQ people and journalists, who would gladly massacre the Jewish population of Israel, and who most re whose most recent press release was, quote, we congratulate the Muslim Afghan people for the defeat of the American occupation on all Afghan lands, and we congratulate the Taliban movement and its brave leadership on this victory which culminated its long struggle over the past 20 years. This is a lesson for all oppressed people, unquote. I tend to agree with the thinker, podcaster, Barry Weiss. 
She says, we're living in an era, at least in the States, or at least, let's say, in the liberal institutions, like my former workplace, in which there is an unbelievably intense fixation on diversity inclusion and making sure that work is a safe space for everyone. And this is good. And yet, there's a lack of care when it comes to Jews inside these institutions, and it is striking. For example, the New York Times ran two large puff pieces about the writer Alice Walker when I was working there, who is a medieval anti-Semite. She writes poems about the blood-sucking rabbis of the Talmud. She talks about the lizard Illuminati. She's a fan of David Icks, who was banned from YouTube. The Times ran one recently about Louis Farrakhan, basically saying he was just a gentleman who has been misunderstood. I received an email this past week from a fellow rabbi who suggested that I introduce, and other rabbis introduce, Nashamnu for criticizing leaders who are people of color just because we disagree with maybe something they say, and that's not our place. Barry Weiss writes, Jews are sort of twice cursed because we're considered basically a fake minority because we've been invited into whiteness. And somehow this also includes Arab Jews, Mizrahi Jews. And then because over 90% of Jews identify as Zionist, it's our second sin. Because not only are we sort of handmaidens of white supremacy because we're a fake minority, but we're also loyal to the last standing bastion of white colonialism in the Middle East. And so we're guilty of the sort of the worst of modern sense. We're guilty of participating in systemic racism. We're guilty of upholding white settler colonialism. And all of that sort of combining to erase, in a way, any oppression. It's like Jews can't be victims unless it's such a horrific incident, like what happened in my hometown of Pittsburgh. But the kind of ongoing attacks that have happened on the streets of Brooklyn and Los Angeles, you know, Jews having had their wigs ripped off, chairs thrown through windows of Jewish businesses as chants go down the street, Jews having their face smashed in with a paving stone, a child's bus pelted with rocks, synagogues assaulted. That's a story that doesn't read in the same way because those Jews are imperfect victims, maybe because they are orthodox. Or the Muslim man in France who was let off of the crime of murdering a Jewish woman in her own apartment because he was on drugs at the time. She writes, I would like to say that because I've been living inside that world, I'm not surprised, but I talk to college kids on campuses every day. Ten years ago, it was about criticizing the settler movement, which I do readily. And that was the kind of standard, to be accepted into the community and to have friends and to be viewed as good or righteous. Five years ago, it became your need to disavow the fact that Israel came into being, that it came into being entirely wrong. And it's creating the victims now becoming the victimizers. Now it's like a basic pillar of Jewish identity to disavow Zionism. You can't go to Hillel because Hillel also has Israeli speakers and therefore is complicit in a genocide and systemic racism. But there's no call to to defund Asian American groups, nor should there be. The same kind of blanket curse doesn't apply to other groups. And the message is getting through. A year ago, Rabbi Andy Kahn, junior rabbi at Temple Emanuel in New York City, wrote on Twitter, quote, let me say this as plainly as possible. Jews are not an indigenous people. It is appropriative to make use of this word when referring to our relationship to the land of Israel, and it undermines the difficult work being done to fix the ongoing oppression of indigenous peoples. And perhaps the most classic case 
of a Balak moment, of someone issuing a curse to her 43.6 million Instagram followers and God changing the words of curse, perhaps to blessing. When Bella Hadid, a 25-year-old model with over 43 million followers, posted on Instagram, caption, Palestine versus Austria 1939, featuring soccer players from opposing teams shaking hands. So cool, she wrote, hearkening back to the days of Palestine before Israel got there. In God's magical change, it turned out that the players on the Palestine team that she had put in her photograph were actually Jewish, and they were representing British Mandate Palestine. And there was even Hebrew on their jerseys. As she chanted, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. So how do we respond to the Bobalak curse? Here, I have a hypothesis. I don't think we address it by calling people anti-Semites. I think when you call racist people racist, and when you call haters haters, it is not effective. And I actually believe that what we need to do is something quite out of fashion, which is to engage in history. I think each of the curses needs to be addressed with facts. Unfortunately, I don't see that happening. According to a recent poll of American Jews, 28% of those polled and 38% under 40 agreed with the statement that Israel is an apartheid state. 23% of those polled and 33% under 40 agreed that Israel is committing genocide against the Palestinians. And fully one-fifth of American Jews under the age of 40 agreed with the statement that Israel doesn't have the right to exist. But when I read this poll in the Jerusalem Post, this is how the writer addressed how it should be solved. The blame is with diaspora Judaism. It's diaspora Jews who are to blame. They don't support Israel well enough. They don't organize rallies in massive numbers. They are fostering these sentiments. In another article in the Jerusalem Post, I read that the cause of the rise of anti-Semitism is Peter Beinart, because on Tisha B'Av, he included Palestinians and those he remembered as being victims of homelessness and destruction. Or what I found to be true in the past 20 years, all criticism of Israel justified and unjustified is somehow the fault of J Street and the new Israel Fund and Shrua. Or all hatred of Israel is due to AIPAC and their triumphalism. Oh, I forgot. In the court of public opinion, clearly the one to blame, well, there are two, Ben and Jerry. Yes, absolutely. I think the curses are coming from people paying attention to what Peter Beinard Davins on Tisha B'Av. Absolutely. It's ridiculous. What we have done in our community for too many decades is to scapegoat other Jews as the cause of the problems that we experienced and the accusations that come our way. And on Yom Kippur, we are asked to rise up and see no part of the Jewish community is separate from the body of which we are also a cell, a tissue, in Oregon. And when you think about it, the idea that J Street or that APAC is to blame for these curses is absurd. 
Are there things that they say, all of them, make me uncomfortable? Sometimes, yes. But they are part of crying out for a future for the Jewish people. Instead of scapegoating each other and somehow scapegoating by saying that's the anti-Semite or it's not the left, it's the right, or it's not the right, it's the left, I think we need to address the facts. Are the Jews indigenous to the land of Israel? You think people know history and they don't. Do you think they really have any idea that the Jews legitimately have historically been there by archaeology and historians for, I mean, at least 800 BCE and likely earlier, likely pre-1000 BCE in the time of Deborah? Every definition of indigenousness would include them as having an indigenous connection to the land. Are the Arabs descendants of other peoples in the land? I'm happy to say so. They also have an indigenous connection to the land. Are we colonialist? In order to the definition of colonialist that I looked up, we would have had to have voluntarily migrated from our original land to be guilty of colonialism by trying to return. But historically, in 566 BC, much of the population was forcibly exiled to Babylonia, skipping some more exiles and massacres. In 132, after the Second Jewish Revolt, the Romans massacred a very large percentage of the Jews who had actually returned centuries before. And many, therefore, who were still alive fled to Europe and other parts of the Mideast. And later, the vicious crusades included massacres of Jews across Europe as they fled eastward into what was later called the Pale of Settlement and then get trapped there. And this was not voluntary migration. Are we apartheid in Israel itself? Unlike apartheid, Arabs are allowed to be citizens, participate in the political process, and have human rights, which are all too often violated. In the occupied territory of the West Bank, I'm not sure. Maybe. Maybe we should really look at that and think about that and analyze it. Are we guilty of ethnic cleansing? 750,000, maybe more, 800,000 Palestinian Arabs were displaced in 1948. Active ethnic cleansing by the Israeli military afterward, probably around 40 to 50,000 of that 750 to 800,000 were kicked out in order to secure Jewish areas. And I bemoan that on Tisha B'Av. Is it not also true? Do you want it? So what is ethnic cleansing? 750,000 to 800,000. Did God make up these numbers to be the same? Of Sephardic Jews in North Africa, in Baghdad, people who had been there for thousands of years, Egypt, Libya, Yemen, forced from their homes, often with nothing to take with them. After 1948, through the late 1950s, and sent to Israel. I think that's ethnic cleansing. The amount of money of reparations of what was taken from those Jews when they were forced to leave is astronomical. Maybe that's what reparations are. And the amount of land seized from Israeli and Sephardi Jews is estimated just the land to be four times the size of the land of Israel. I think we have to analyze and use history. I think all of us should be subscribed to the YouTube channel Unpacked, which are amazing historical videos that show truth on both sides and educate. 
after Yom Kippur find your way to the channel and have our teens watch it. The point of using history is not to claim that we are justified in becoming persecutors because we were persecuted. As I tried to say on Rosh Hashanah, victimization is real. And the question is whether you want to stay in that state. And what Gerard said about scapegoating is true. While most will find a scapegoat to persecute within or without, that is not authenticity, nor will it get people what they want. The move has to be going from victim to creator, from scapegoating to inclusion and interconnection. To think as we will do in moments in the Avodah service, are there accusations against us that are true? Rather than blaming the accuser, can we think of ways that we wish to change, to create a society that is holy? Strangely, in the Torah, there doesn't seem to be any concept of indigenousness, for what it's worth. Even though historians tell us that the exodus was really small, and Israelites had already been indigenous to the land for centuries. But actually, the Torah does not claim that. What it says is that those inhabiting the land only have moral claim. It does not say that war justifies land possession or occupation. In fact, it is not power that defines right to the land, but rather fulfillment of covenantal obligations. We earn the right to live there by our serving the land and by our serving God. And failure to uphold God's purposes pollutes the land. Punishment for our sins is exile. The land throws us out. The main sign that one does not deserve to be there is a lack of compassion toward those who have been displaced and are trying to survive. And the goal is inclusion in the Yom Kippur and the change of the society, not from a presumption of victimhood, justify and become persecutor, but by being creators with God of a society that has moral claim. In this time, I have one last recommendation. Perhaps sheltering in our places, cut off from others, we have learned that somehow we are going to achieve atonement through labeling. We presume we know people because of the color of their skin or the sound of their name. And we have lost so much of the moments of true encounter, true I-thou relationship. Not the presumption, as Martin Buber warned us, that we, we think we know what a person is because of something we see about them or a label that we have been given. I think one of the best examples of what Yom Kippur means, what addressing our own claim to the land and our moral obligations, is Zaituna, a program I did not ever see anything like in California and was born here. It's not by calling another a victim, not by calling another a persecutor. It's not by assuming that one has the right positions regarding them. It's talking to them. It's having an eye-thou relationship with them because then you can't place them outside and you can't scapegoat them. But their pain has to become your pain. Every time I hear Adonai, Adonai, Rahum V'chanun, God of compassion, I think of Marav, and I know I've told you this before. I'll never forget when she came, we came home from Shiva here for Sylvie Sarman's mother, Allah Shalom. And she said, Dad, when Sylvie was talking about her mother, I felt really bad inside. And I started to cry. 
is that normal? And I said, not only is that normal, I never want you to stop. When we stop being compassionate, we stop including. I call for inclusion based on real relationship. Because then we'll know how to include and what to create. At the end of the day, we need to stop blaming other Jews. That's scapegoating. And we need to stop allowing others to scapegoat Israel with some history. We need to return to real I-thou relationships with others. If you do this, if we do this, we will be creators of Israel's future, and the land will not spit us out. And we will have done the hard work of thinking of what attaches to the name Israel, what attaches to the name Zionism, what attaches to the name Jew. And like our own self-accounting, what is true, separated from what is false. And our taking on, changing what needs to be changed to restore our good name, regardless of whether we have individually participated in any of the offenses. It culminates in our people with no one outside it. Tshuva as a tribe means looking inward and collectively trying to be better, to be good. Every day is a new beginning. So let's re-begin today. Shana Tova.